Welcome to Ahead of the Game, a podcast brought to you by the Digital Marketing Institute. This episode is a big Q&A where we explore an area of marketing through a leading industry expert. I'm your host, Will Francis, and I'll be talking to Carl Malin, an analyst and expert in e-commerce who's been in digital for almost two decades, helping clients like Aer Lingus, Coca-Cola, Bored Beer, and many more find better results in their online marketing. Like everything digital, e-commerce has gone from being a minor niche to disrupting and then turning the entire world of retail and commerce upside down. So we're going to take a deeper look at what really matters and ultimately drives success in e-commerce today. Carl, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Will. Two decades. I don't know. I don't know how to Where's handle it. Where's it all gone? It's moved very quickly and I think that's the whole that's the whole kind of takeaway is that it has moved so quickly for myself from where I started to, to even now, like and, and what's happened in between. So I think it's a it's a big question. Where is it all gone? Just to you know set the scene, what are the big talking points in the world of e-commerce right now? Yeah, I mean, I think like it's, it's, it's just as you said, like it's just taken over everything, you know, like you can sell at scale in cost efficient ways to markets that you couldn't have dreamt of doing years and years ago. Like, so it's, it's, you know, it's, it's really kind of changed the mindset. So the major talking points I'm finding is how things like on offline retailers, bricks and mortar retailers are adapting to the online play piece, how payments are changing it. That's that's quite a boring one for a lot of people. They don't. They think e-commerce is just nice products and a website and all this stuff. But actually, we have to consider things like, well, how are you getting paid? And um, you know, what what's the methodology here? And payments. Since the European Directive came in around um, moving payments away from t- traditional organisations like um, the credit card companies and the banks to more organisations like Revolut and things like that, you're finding that these type of mini disruptions within a disruptive field mm. are a talking point because you have to catch up and you suddenly you you know all the kids are using Revolut are you taking it like and or are you like just going to omit a massive payment option and therefore a massive market so it's moving quick um in terms of really really you know functional stuff like um, moving uh, bricks and mortar online to things like payments and then like other disruptive markets which would be like our example which is the Chinese market and what that means and given how close it is to Cyber Monday Cyber Monday obviously was the talking point of all la- of, of all like you know last week and previous weeks and different things like that what would it be what would the turnover be we knew that um, Black Friday was going to be a really big e-commerce day so what was Cyber Monday going to be like is it going to just blow everything out of the water and it comes in at 9.4 billion euro or billion dollars apologies and that's the biggest Cyber Monday ever but then we forget that a month earlier on Singles Day which is the 11th of the 11th of November there was 30.8 billion dollars worth of revenue sold on e-commerce sites in China on that day that's incredible isn't it it's it's the numbers aren't real like they're just not real. Does e-commerce work differently in China? Yeah, I mean it's massively different. Uh, the big and uh, we'll, we'll illuminate it with stats to start off, and we'll just use our our two most recent uh, days, which is Cyber Monday in, in the West and uh, Singles Day in the East. So Cyber Monday was nine point four billion dollars worth of revenue, with thirty three percent of transactions completed on a mobile phone. So. 
on a mobile phone, you're thinking we traditionally buy on a desktop. Uh, and I thought when I read that statistic, 33% were really adapting. We are really, really adapting to mobile commerce. So that's obviously a talking point to shift in consumer patterns. Then when we look at China and that particular day on Singles Day, we had 30.8 billion euro worth of billion dollars worth of e-commerce transactions done on that day with the first billion done in the first uh, 68 seconds. Whoa. Yeah. Um, 90% of transactions were done in the mobile. 90%. So it's not, it's not like it, I thought 33 was a fantastic number given where we, you know what it's like. That's progress. Yeah, we're like, well, it was usually 7% or whatever like that, you know, Um, but in China it was 90. And a talking point for the West really was that it was 33% done on a smartphone, which is, you know, a significant enough step change in what we've seen over the past number of years. But a glimpse into the future, which China can be, is 90% done was done on smartphones. And there's a reason for that. You know, what is the reason? for Well, that? that was the that was the lineup. So the reason is um, the Internet came late to China when we got uh, e-commerce originally and, and different things like that back in the early 2000s and late 90s. Desktop was the preferred device. So we started transacting on a desktop device and mobile telephony and mobile networks and smartphones didn't really kind of make an impact till 2006, 2007. By that stage, the purchase pattern had been culturally ingrained in us. When China had opened its doors to the internet in the kind of 2000s and, you know, uh, in that era, mobile telephony had grown to a point that it was natural that they just adapt and adopt to this technology as their preferred medium for, um, for purchasing. So everything is done on the phone. Everything. It's, it's really amazing. I believe it's called leapfrogging. You know, and, and and a lot of cultures have leapfrogged in that way. You know, in the way that we, you know people talk about um, the way that people pay. You know, and have done for ten years or more in Kenya with SMS messages and things like that. You know, I find that fascinating. Um, so um, we see a lot of this outside the West, and of course, we're a little bit. Um, most people are a bit blind to it. Um, and has the Chinese use of WeChat? kind of does that typify their very different approach to commerce and payment on mobile and does that have a lot to do with driving that e-commerce stat definitely definitely does so wechat essentially is the everything app it is the absolute everything app so initially it was launched as a as a chatting app you know mobile like you know chatting with your friends social media that kind of thing and then they integrated wechat wallet which is payment similar to Revolut, similar to Apple Pay and all of those, pay, you know, kind of newer, newer age payment providers that we have, those then integrated natively within the same app framework with their social media. So, for example, you can see something on your social feed and just buy it there and then, which are tokenized, which is your saved e-commerce uh, credentials on your phone there and then. You can just buy that thing because it, there's native there's a native link between your payment options and the product itself in the feed. The other thing is it developed further into managing things like booking doctor's appointments and visas and government, like governmental agencies and stuff, you know, all kind of feed into this WeChat um, 
I suppose, environment. Mm. And you can essentially manage your life from this one app. So everything integrates with WeChat. Like, and that's the thing. And it's native on your phone and it's 24-7. And it is, as you say, it was leapfrogged. So, you know, people just adopted this method of payment there and then. It's, it's really a glimpse into the future for how if we in the West shifted our mindset and became more comfortable with things like paying with a mobile device rather than a desktop device, what the future might look like. So if we're ever thinking what's coming down the road, a glance east will definitely give you a good indication of what might be happening next. Indeed. And I would be surprised if Mark Zuckerberg didn't have his eye on that prize. Your Facebook would be the natural kind of provider of that all-in-one service in the West. Yeah. You know, and I, th- I say that their aim is to become the WeChat of the West. I think, um, I think you're right. seems to be going in that direction. You know, the flow from seeing something on Instagram to buying it has smoothed out over the last year or two in incremental steps and that kind of thing. But So it'll be very interesting to see that play out. So in terms of marketing and e-commerce, mm-hmm. what marketing are you seeing work best for e-commerce companies right now? Yeah, I mean, I think your standard starting point for any kind of marketing with uh, for e-commerce is going to be PPC. It's it's a blunt instrument. It's get your visibility up when people are looking to buy things and when people are looking for solutions to needs that they have. So what we need to always think about when we're when we're doing any PPC is the analogy I always, always give is questions and answers that Google is the questions and answers machine. Mm. And it's like people have a need or want and they will ask Google a question to help them resolve that need or want. So the search query or this keyword is a question. So we have to anticipate what are the consumers likely to ask Google? And then us, our competitors are all giving our answers. There are ads. So everyone gives a response and our answer has to be the best answer. And then once the consumer decides which answer they want to go with, they'll click on and then, you know, hopefully lead them to a path to purchase. But it is, it's literally questions and answers. What are they going to ask and how can we position our product as a solution to, to that need? And um, so the channel to begin with, more than likely for everyone, it's expensive, it's time consuming and it can be a little bit complicated is paid search because it'll just get you to the top of Google when people are actively looking for solutions. The thing is, it's probably, and unfortunately, it still is the kind of the main channel for a lot of organizations, but we can make incremental improvements with other channels. So obviously organic organic search is another good channel, but it can take time to build up there. We'll also find that with organic search, it's consumers are info seeking rather than looking to purchase and everything we do in e-commerce is I want to buy something. So we always have that final conversion in mind. And generally, the PPC works a little bit better for that um, at scale just because of how it operates. And it's interesting, actually, that you mentioned Instagram, because the direct integration between something like Shopify or Magento or WooCommerce or something with um with something like Instagram shopping or Facebook shopping, where you can directly link your uh, e-commerce catalog to to the network, just as you can do with Google shopping. So all of your products can be tagged in a photograph, um, which will obviously have a price and then direct you to the landing page 
on your e-commerce site where you can go ahead and buy that product. Of course, the thinking is that an influencer or someone like that, a key opinion leader, KOL in China, um, is, is a difference. But anyway, I digress. Um, an influencer might show your product and, you know, you can tag that up, what that is, click through and um, you're landing, land, landed essentially on the page where you can buy it. So the idea is that you can get that influence and that kind of recommendation and then remove as much friction as you can to get me from my Instagram to get my credit card out. So things like exporting your entire product suite to Instagram, to Facebook, to Google, to all of that stuff is, you know, it's, it's, it's in its infancy, I think. I feel with the social channels and that's because we tend to not purchase so impulsively with social or even e-commerce. We tend to sit down in front of our computer and type something in when we're ready at a time we're ready to purchase, but it can't influence the conversion journey. So I'm interested in catalog sales. I think that's a good talking point. And then I, I suppose one of my favorite areas is affiliate marketing if we can talk a little bit about affiliate because it is an incremental channel. It's not a high traffic channel. It's not a high volume channel for the majority of verticals, except for things like gambling maybe or something where you'd be given out different bets and different odds and maybe coupon codes where it can drive a significant amount of revenue. But affiliate marketing is when, essentially when other people sell your stuff on behalf of you or give give what appears to be a lovely third-party recommendation and then a nice link to your website where you can buy it based on this lovely independent review that you've just gotten but then obviously the review is has been paid for in terms of when that link is clicked and the person goes ahead and buys the the affiliate who wrote that review gets a percentage of the sale so what you're saying when you say it's an incremental channel you mean it's not a a mass scalable channel exactly so what I mean by that is your like traditional breakdowns in e-commerce would be maybe 40 to 50% of your revenue comes from your paid search. Then maybe another 30 or 40% comes from maybe your organic search, bit from email, and then affiliates might bring between 5 and 10% of your overall revenue because it's just not a mass market channel, but what it is, and this is why I love it, is it's a low risk channel. It's 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 actually if you do if you do the maths correctly, it's a zero risk channel because you only pay when someone buys something. So unlike PPC or uh, things like that, like where you pay for a click, regardless if someone buys or not, you still have to pay for that traffic. With affiliates, if someone clicks through you know, and you choose the commission model, you don't have to pay for that click. You only give them a percentage of the sale if a sale occurs. So if you do the numbers right, you can say, well, I'm willing to give them 2% because that still gives me enough margin and they'll get paid. And it's if I if they don't make any sales, I don't have to pay them any money. And is that something that any brand of any size can do? Absolutely. I mean, and that's you know, how thing. would you go about doing that for a, a smaller e-commerce brand? Well, the, I'd use a network. So uh, what a network is, it's an interface between you, the brand and the affiliate or the publisher who sells on your behalf. So if it's an influencer or if it's a website that does reviews or different things like that, um, you need to find the right fit 
for you as an e-commerce seller. So you can go to networks that do do all that work for you. Yeah. Or are you saying as an alternative you can specifically go to other sites and influencers? If you have an agreement with an influencer, you can use affiliate links to track their commission and sales. But if you want to just find, like, who should I work with? There's a search feature in a lot of the networks and will just allow you to search different affiliate websites, different affiliate companies, different influencers that you can just pick and choose who you might want to work with. And I'll, I suppose the, the other thing is there's an inbound connection where if you are a recognized brand, uh, people will reach out to you and say, can I join, can I join your affiliate program? You can say yes or no. So you can either reach out to affiliates and say, would you like to join the program and um, based on your own feeling about are they right fit and do they drive the right amount of traffic or they can come to you. Um, you generally find it's easier to approach them when you're a smaller brand and, you know, the network will then like as part of your network fee, it, it'll cover all of this kind of functionality. So it'll manage hooking you up with the affiliate, managing all the tracking of their traffic to you, um, all of their commission that they may have earned from sales that they've they've um, they've done on your behalf. And then there's also fraud analysis in case anyone does it in dodgy. So um, any kind of messing around or, or anything like that is all captured and is weeded out of the system. So you can be fairly assured that any of the sales and commission that come through on your affiliate network are legitimate and you can pay the pay the affiliate as per your agreement but it's a great channel it's just it's not, not talked about so much you know no it's not it's really not i mean um you know it seems to really be about ppc and not just search as well i mean obviously it depends what kind of product it is but social ppc seems to be particularly for smaller products for certain types of products like food health lifestyle fitness fashion Facebook and Instagram ads also seem to be huge, but it often strikes me that I, I, I do wonder if those companies can be a bit too reliant on PPC. Is that a danger? I think it's, at the moment, it's part of the play. So it's just part of the environment. And like any kind of reliance on any channel or network or particular organisation, it opens you up to risk should there be any shocks or disruption in the market. So at the moment... It's just, it's part and parcel of what you have to do. You, you have to get your Google ads up there. If you've got a certain price point, like maybe under $20 or $10, you can pretty much sell directly through the social channels like Instagram or Facebook. Um, email is always a great one, you know, but PPC reliance is unfortunately just something that's, mm. it's part of the, it, it's, it's something that, I still feel that can be measured in a transactional sense and that you can understand your ROI oh, yeah. um, really well. Like, That's why marketers love it, because you, you spend X and you get Y, yeah. and it's very, very clear. Um, but uh, the way you're talking, you know, because you are you know, an, an e-commerce expert, you're talking like a true performance marketer. And what I mean by that is you're very conversion-focused and you're looking at that those inputs of money spent on PPC and the outputs of revenue but that is you know stepping back in a wider marketing context that's very kind of bottom of funnel activity yeah do you also um are you as interested in top and middle of funnel activity is that as important today or can people just you know set up shop and steam in and go straight for those conversions 
You can try, but it is very, um, uh, I suppose, cavalier to do to do such thing. Um, my heart and my motivation is always in the bottom of the funnel. It's in the glory. It's in the tip of the ball <laughs> over the line. It's 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 Teddy Sheringham. You know, that's exactly <laughs> what I am. I'm the la- like you know. I haven't done any of the hard work, but I'm putting the putting the ball over the line. That's that's where my heart is. But to be honest, it is a wide ecosystem. Um, if you think about the traditional purchase decision journey, it's like you recognize you have a need or a want, then you go ahead and you look for alternatives and you look for options, and you look for all these things, and then you decide to purchase, then you purchase. So the purchase piece and the PPC piece and that conversion piece is when all the hard work is done. You know, um, brands still need to be built, trust needs to be established, conversations need to be, you know, I suppose, um, disrupted in order to to get people thinking in different ways that if you are cavalier and just like set up your Shopify and, you know, spend 10,000 euro on PPC ads with with Google ads and bid in a bunch of generic terms, no one knows your brand term and different things like that. You're, you know, it it is not going to succeed as you would like. I would be, would be my absolute, absolute guarantee nearly you know i've never seen anyone just whack open a store and succeed without having a definitive conversational social strategy to just to brand build but but a lot of, there, there's a real i mean there's this whole phenomenon at the moment of drop shipping and uh, i mean this has been going on for years but particularly in the last couple of years um it's become one of the go-to make money from home methods hasn't it and, yeah. and and there's a real dream being sold online and a, and shopify is a big part of this i mean not in a i'm not saying in a pernicious or bad or misleading way it just shopify has emerged as a platform where within about an hour at tops you can actually put together a really legitimate a truly legitimate e-commerce store stocking all your favorite stuff none of which you have to warehouse or even touch or see in your life um and start selling it and then having it shipped and fulfilled on your behalf by mm-hmm. these big kind of providers um like you know a burlo and spocket and what have you so um you know how is how is that change the e-commerce landscape because you've got all these players entering the landscape who aren't building any brand Uh, the brand very much takes a back seat they put their cool um trendy product in an instagram ad people click it and they buy it and they barely know who they're buying it from because all these shops look the same yeah well Uh, i know you're right has that made things hard for you i mean or how has it changed the e-commerce landscape well that's the thing it's specifically in retail so um for for the most part to be honest so it's when uh, i suppose when i was when i was you know kind of yakking on about um building a brand and stuff it's like if you're if you're a producer and you want to sell online you do have to build your build your brand but if you're a mass manufacturer or you're kind of selling fidget spinners yeah something like that so, so some something that's just um that's transactional and it's you, you know like it wouldn't it would be f- like what i find with a lot of drop shipping is it's things like t-shirts and it's mugs and it's it's that kind of low cost low um you know there's not a big decision going into it so i'm happy enough to drop 
you know, $10 on a Beastie Boys t-shirt that, you know, you, all you have to do is make sure that they've got the dates right for when the Beastie Boys were active. Um, that's what I discovered recently. So you can get some inaccuracy, inaccuracies in <laughs> in your products. So um, for, jo- for drop shippers, it's definitely worth sense checking the accuracy of of um of any of those kind of things like if it's books or if it's if it's mugs or if it's anything like that but what, for what the, do you mean exactly well I, well there's, there's a story here yeah yeah no i've noticed on on instagram and facebook that you know i, I get like pictures of different bands that i like and there's they're ho- like maybe the singer is holding up a t-shirt with the band on it but it's just kind of a photoshop of their heads stuck on a generic body and it's it's blatantly obvious you know what this is and it, that won't succeed because unfortunately what happens even though you don't have to stock the product underneath your ad you'll just have all these comments from hardcore fans and um, calling it out so i mean with drop shipping no matter what you're selling if it's leveraging another brand like um like it's it's been recommended by someone or something like that you have to check the legitimacy of it because it can just come across as fake or, or rubbish and that unfortunately as you know has been associated with a lot of drop shipping products um so while there is money to be made in it, and it's a, certainly a good business model it is transactional and it may be just a finite stepping stone until brands as they always do after disruption uh, re-establish themselves as the main players within the market. And talking about disruption, how has the emergence of uh, Amazon Marketplace disrupted e-commerce? Yeah, I mean, it is it is the great disruptor to everything over the past number of years. Like Amazon's... My, my interesting story about Amazon, actually, is uh, when Jeff Bezos started Amazon, he registered a website called Relentless.com. And if you type relentless.com into your search engine, it will redirect to amazon.com. So it's a little gag that still exists, obviously, you know, in his, um, in his, in his history. But, um, but relentless.com does redirect to amazon.com. Wow, that's it, a more, almost a more appropriate name for the, uh, the organisation. And that's the thing. I mean, like, it is the great disruption of the past number of years that, like, you know, the postal services all over the world were dying. And now with e-commerce, you're finding that this older industry that emails are replacing letters and, and online statements are replacing bills and different things like that. There seem to be no reason for the postal services and they're closing, you know, they're closing post offices, they're doing all this stuff. But actually, a lot of postal services all over the world are now in profit because of the amount of e-commerce parcels they're delivering. So, you know, it's it's disrupted the commercial model from the high street perspective um but does but, it mean that you, your average e-commerce store also needs to list their goods on amazon well that's the that's the next step after their after their kind of initial disruption is now they're disrupting the online space where they already operated so when you're on google.com you're not in you may be in an e-commerce or purchase mindset, but you may be in an InfoSeek mindset. When you're on Amazon.com, you're much higher intent in terms of purchasing. You the feel o- closer yeah, to purchase. Absolutely. I think. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like you, you are, you are absolutely like in that. Per- like the only reason I'm on Amazon.com is to buy something and get off it. You know, I'm not there for the experience. I'm not there to do anything other than find exactly what I need, find out what it costs put in my credit card details and go 
somewhere else on the internet that isn't Amazon.com. You know, it's 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 in and out like a bank robbery, and um, and that, that that's the beauty of it because it's a much more efficient way to purchase. Um, but at the same time, it's it as a marketplace is after opening not only a whole new world, a whole new way to buy on online. You're buying, I suppose, you're putting your product in front of people who are only there to buy, like. Like maybe let let's let's say only a, a certain percentage of Google's users are there to buy, and the rest are there to find out information or look at a map or picture or something like that. When I'm on Amazon, there's only one thing I want to do, and mm. that's to buy. So that's the value add that being on the Amazon marketplace is that you're only ever talking to people who are going to take the credit card out. Well, and there's, there's been this change of behaviour, hasn't there, uh, where people go, so if they're looking for videos, they don't Google it, they go to YouTube, you know, there's an off, off-sighted stat that YouTube's the second yeah. biggest search engine mm-hmm. after Google. And similarly, um, there has been a trend uh, observed where people go straight to Amazon rather than search, and that's part been part of Amazon's growth because it's become such a reliable place to get the stuff you need. So then... If the audience moves there, then yeah, e-commerce brands have to go there too. But it, that inevitably kind of productizes, it commoditizes what we as e-commerce brands are doing. So, you know, how how are e-commerce shops still managing to deliver an experience rather than just supplying cold product? Are you seeing anyone succeed doing that? Only, only brands really. You, you know, like a big brand, you'd find like in the jewelry market, you'd find Cartier doing stuff, or or, or in the fashion brands, you might have something experiential. But even at that, um, when I was getting the train into the into into the studio today, um, I I I was just I, I didn't mean to, but I just happened to notice that the that the uh, the woman beside me was browsing browsing an e-commerce store on her phone like you know and it wasn't a very rich experience in terms of visual design it was just products being laid out and she was just scrolling through so i don't know what the value of an on-site e-commerce experience is other than transactional it has to be in and out because that's why we that's why we don't go to the high street that's why we do it from our phone from our computer whatever it is where e-commerce can have an experience is in the social channels when people are there for a, di- for a non-transactional um, purpose. So you can talk about any kind of brand advocacy you're doing with maybe charities or foreign aid or different things like that, or any causes that you champion. Again, maybe you can do a little bit of light trolling like the way that Lego did with the um, the new Jeep that... Uh, the tes- that Tesla released there. I don't know if you saw it. Did you see that yeah, actually? Yeah, it yeah. was very funny. You know, so um, so that's where you can build an experience is in the social world, and that kind of goes back to what you were asking me about the um, the uh, the the channel piece around should like should we just focus in on search? It's like to a point you can, but you do need to still plant that seed and think about the old school of marketing which is consideration sets and front and mind and brands that you like and different things like that and that world people don't want that world on your website beyond your brand colors and your and your your logo you know they just want to get to the product get to the, get to the checkout make it easy and it's done when they're in the mindset for brand engagement it's on social 
a very good point, isn't it? Mm. It's a very good point. It's kind of the difference between when you go to um, a very specific shop or uh, when you just go kind of browsing down the high street to kill a bit of time, you know, and we, you know, and it's the kind of online version of that, really. Um, and uh, it's really good things for people, anybody who's listening to, who works in e-commerce to think about that, you know, people do that less purchase intention, brand engagement in social. And that's why that's so important, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and, to kind of build the personality of your brand and, and exactly. build the relationship mm-hmm. over the long term with your potential customers, your existing customers. Yeah. Um, but when they're in, when they're ready for it, like, I mean, you know, like the thing is we can't make anyone do anything they don't want to do. So if we put up a load of brand engagement stuff on our transactional website, it just gets in the way. It adds friction to the journey because people don't want that. They want to be in and out mm. and they want their stuff in the post as quickly as possible. They want to get that email that says, great news, your stuff has just been dispatched. You know, or it's shipping tomorrow or the text message that says it's arriving yeah. between two and four. That's what they're there for. Otherwise, they go to the high street. But when they're in a, in a conversational, when they're in a expansive state of mind, that's when they're not on your website. So there's room for both, but not in the same place. And do you think loyalty and repeat purchase is easier or harder to drive online? I think it's easier to drive online. And but- how, how, how are the best brands doing it? Um, well, we've, we've all these great tools. Like, I mean, we've got like the retargeting tools. We've got things like coupon codes for for uh, past customers. We've got reward schemes. We've got point schemes because everything can be tracked. And because you will, if you've bought off anyone on, on, on a website, you will have a customer profile with all of your interactions, commercial and non-commercial. And you can build different profiles around what... Um, uh, what are the best ways to engage these people? And I think I think it's easier to get someone to lo- like kind of recommit to a purchase in that might take 15 to 25 seconds than to jump in a car and go to a shop and do a thing and park the car and take out your credit card and stand in a queue and maybe it's not going to be there. Um, I think it's just easier. I think people have fast-paced lives and... We're purchasing smaller basket sizes, but we're purchasing more frequently. That's the thing. So it's, whereas we purchase larger, think about it, we purchase larger basket sizes because it was a pain to go shopping. But now it's not such a pain to go shopping. We So we purchase more frequently, but just what we need. It's not such an event. So repeat purchases online, I, I do feel... Are, because all people need is that little nudge in a remarketed ad yeah. or um, an email with an offer. Exactly. I mean, you know who they are, um, so you know how to reach them. And if you've given them a positive experience first time around, that's that's all re- they really need when the next purchase requirement comes in. And what I mean by positive experience, and this is this is an interesting concept, you don't have to go above and beyond, you know, just doing what you're meant to do. If I buy something and you say it's going to arrive in three days and it arrives in three days, I'm happy. It doesn't need to arrive in a day. You know, if it just does what I expect it to do, that's all that needs to happen. You don't need to go above and beyond um, to win consumer loyalty with uh, with any kind of online interactions. It's you just, just need great. to be reliable, consistent. Just 
do what it says, you yeah. know, or what do what it says in the tin kind of thing, you know. Like you said you were going to do it, just do it. I'll tell you something that I always ponder about, I often ponder about with e-commerce, is why is it that some of the really big brands, I mean some of the biggest brands on the planet, really struggled to get their e-commerce game on? Why is that? Do you know? Yeah, I mean, it's 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 really it's it's baffling. But I think a lot of established brands just were in their comfort zone. Uh, they had a monopoly in a high street. They had were able to sm- force smaller retailers out. So they just they owned the original market. And then when this internet thing came along, it was just a bit of a fad, and they didn't think that it was going to last. Or so they didn't take it seriously. I, I think so. I think they ju- they just went, ah, oh, look, sure, we've been doing this for 150 years, you know. And then there's just this whopping change in how people do things, and they came late to the game, and they came late to the game where they're entering, they're entering a new high street where there's different players, more established players in the virtual high street that they will struggle to compete with. And then you do have other things. You love like uh, logistical things where their warehouse isn't set up for e-commerce or they don't have the proper type of 3PL, which is a third party logistics set up in place. They don't know how to handle returns. They have been working with a traditional advertising agency who can't do online. And I think a lot of brands, you know, there was a step change in between, ju- just when the smartphone really took off around 2008 and then rolling up to 2014, where a lot of the traditional players just got edged out. They just got edged out and they haven't been able to work their way back in. They may work their way back in because they are brands, but what I still find is the only time I see a TV ad is in like my parents' house. So, and they, the only brands I see are those brands that struggle online, the ones I don't buy from. Mm. So, they may still be continuing to do the wrong things for to, for a younger market like like my, me and my well younger two decades. But anyway, nah. it's fine. We, we'll move on because I think we saw that in fashion. You know, for instance, where big players like ASOS came along, Boohoo.com, really ran that marketplace. And then mm-hmm. the people from the high street, the brand from the high street, very much struggled to compete with that um, because they they hadn't ironed out the logistics. They hadn't ironed out things like returns and online sizing and uh, product uh, product matching, product cross-marketing. I mean, yeah, it's it's just fascinating with all the resource that they had that they just couldn't kind of get their uh, act together. Um, now, if someone was listening and they wanted to start their own e-commerce mm-hmm. company brand, yeah, what would be your kind of really really distilled key bits of advice to get them on their way as quickly as possible? What are the things they should really sort out urgently when they yeah, start? Yeah, well, the first thing is. Can they legitimately sell online? Is there a market? Like, or is it just, I want to get onto this e-commerce thing and see how it goes. So it shouldn't be a, like, it should be a defined strategy that like, yes, there is actually people do, like if you sell confectionery, you're probably not going to, unless it's very bespoke or artisan or something, you're probably not going to have a market online for for selling this type of product because it can melt it can do all kinds of things that will cause you difficulty so first starting point is actually can i sell online then the starting point of everything is 
what what does my website look like? Um, because your website is your storefront. So we've got a number of options here. We've got the kind of enterprise level solutions like Magento, and we've got the um, the more kind of mass market quick setup solutions like Shopify. Um, there's other website builders with different e-commerce plugins like WordPress and there'd be Wix and there'd be all that kind of stuff that you can potentially use. So, so would you suggest that people choose a platform rather than to build something bespoke? I would absolutely recommend that because the platforms are they're well supported and they do things like they integrate with uh, your tracking tools like Google Analytics like Google, Ad, Google Ads it, like kind of, it works out of the box it's, it's like Shopify exactly, exactly. Sh- works out Sh- Shopify you, you just enter a couple of numbers you enter your GA code you enter your Facebook pixel and then everything just works whereas if you're paying a developer you're paying hours for him to code or her to code um, uh, like your e-commerce output and your thank you page to push all that data to GA so you can track it put in pixels everything is just errors and errors and errors and then if it goes down it's more errors and then if there's a new type of security threat for online payments you need to get that sorted so bespoke stuff is not the way to go not the way to go at all really for anyone starting off even big brands i think shouldn't really you know go bespoke unless there's some really critical business reason that they need to go bespoke because you can do a lot on a lot of the out of the box solutions i agree i mean even if a a sizable retail brand came to me i'd suggest that you spot uh, shopify Mm -hmm. because for all the reasons you've suggested yeah it's supported you're paying someone else what is actually a very small cost relatively to provide a really well supported robust piece of technology but um and let's say i've you know i've got a thousand euro burning a hole in my pocket as a marketing budget and i've got till next week to get this thing you know running and rolling and selling product where should i first put where should i put that first bit of budget first bit of budget you should be split i would probably put it 70 30 between uh paid search and your preferred social channel you know um paid search just gets those people there to your website to uh, to see your product when they're in some kind of purchase mindset because obviously the keywords you would choose your paid searching say you were selling phone cases or something would be buy an iPhone case you know or buy iPhone 5s case or something like that to make it maybe less less kind of top uh, less short tail and hopefully a, a lower cost per click but um but paid search would be because it's e-commerce because it's transactional you need to get those purchasers to your website then to build the brand, to kind of keep it front of mind, to maybe retarget people on, who have visited your website via a search click, which will be expensive, you can retarget them for a much lower cost on um, different targeting platforms like, or retargeting platforms like Instagram, like Facebook, maybe not Twitter, it's less effective, uh, definitely not LinkedIn for B2C and maybe something like the Google Display Network. So you can pay for that initial high purchase intent, expensive click through a search click, and then retarget those people with cheaper clicks from Google Display Network, from Instagram, from Facebook, or other social channels. Uh, And that allows you to get more out of that expensive click at the start and still hit those people up who did show some intent that they might have bought your product. You can set different variables around they must have spent a minute on my site 
according to Google Analytics and I can push that you know into an audience list and retarget those people so you're only retargeting high quality search visitors so I think you know the way I'd kick it off would be set up the website make sure everything's tracking up as you would expect um, 70% of the search 30% of the social and work it like that and then test and grow pick a market rather than going global like probably pick your city pick your delivery area you know you don't need to be targeting the other side of the world or indeed trying to enter the chinese market on day one i do think that you can just pick a home market make it easy and then use your home market as a as a kind of a bed to learn you know the nuances of your of your e-commerce activity and then iterate on that that would be it 70 30 that yeah. sounds great. That sounds really good. Just to pick up on something you said as well about, you know, Google being a basically an answer engine. Mm. Um, so, you know, people are looking for solutions. They're looking for answers to their questions. Is there a role for content marketing there? You know, so if I'm an online jewellery store, um, you know, is there a role for not just having my products and pages, you know, trying to get them into the first page of Google, but actually to write content, produce uh, quality content, informational content? Um, yeah. No, I do. Purpose. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think 100% because, like, when you're when you're doing your research phase of your purchase journey, you're asking things like, you know, how can I size uh, cycling shorts or what's a ring size for my engagement? Because you certainly don't want to get that wrong. And, you, you know, different things like that, these important purchases that may require a little bit more than just, you know, um, uh, pick a size and go. So there's so it's sort of a job for people like to, it's for e-commerce brands to actually think, what are the informational needs of this audience? How can I provide them? as another way to show up in organic or even paid Yeah, I, I think organic is better because, you know, you're competing. You wouldn't, you wouldn't be able to justify the spend on uh, those informational searches with your PPC budget. You just, you just, you know, and that's just a rule of thumb. You, you just couldn't do it. So be all in the organic, in the organic world. But at the same time, it's, it does require that more longer form um, discourse around uh, like how how do i size a ring oh it's proper authoritative information content yeah. written for there's not thinly veiled marketing it's actual high quality information that's the idea isn't it you know so when it comes to e-commerce you can do things like you know how to choose the best hotel you know how to how to choose a good city break or something like that you know like you'll often find and this is this is where affiliates thrive actually is a lot of a lot of um, uh, travel companies do things like what are the top ten places in Europe? So you'll find the likes of your Ryanair's and your British Airways um, do a, do a lot of Aer Lingus do a lot of things like um, uh, the top ten places to visit in Europe yeah. and who are you going to book the flight with? You know, so people do the search. What are the top ten places to visit in Europe in twenty twenty? And then you've all these long form pieces of content that show you something about Paris and Prague and Warsaw and Vienna, and then a link at the bottom that you can buy that flight. So before people buy a flight, they want to know where they're going. So what you're doing is you're using that content piece, that content play, to help them 
along their journey and then be the solution to their needs when they're ready to pull the trigger on the uh, on the purchase piece. That's great. That's, that's uh, fine advice. Well, I think that's um, very insightful and there's plenty for people who work in e-commerce to take away there, I think. Yeah, I mean, it's it's channels and it's metrics. Yes, yes. Um, well, uh, Carl, thanks very much for that. That was really interesting. Here as well. No, it's 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 been fun. It's always good to talk to another e-commerce head about things like this. You know, it's like kindred spirits. Indeed, indeed. Well, um, thank you very much, and um, thank you very much for listening. Great stuff. Cheers, Will. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information about transforming your marketing career through certified online training, head to digitalmarketinginstitute.com. Thanks for listening.